Last words are always harder to remember when no one knows that someone is about to die. John Green, looking for Alaska. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kintad Svensgaard, and along with me, as always, please say hello to Mr. AJ Mass. I've been sitting here for the last four days. Where have you been? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we will be getting to that. I uh, am excited to be here this week, AJ. We have... Another new episode of Criminal Minds to recap and uh, go over. That's what we do. And uh, <laughs> that's what we do here on Felonious Pundits. Each week we do that. I have never seen this show before, so I'm going in uh, fresh, so to speak. And you have seen the show many times. You are our grizzled veteran of the Criminal Minds scene. And uh, so that's the kind of uh, vibe that we're given. All you lucky podcast listeners out there. <laughs> I am a mentor and you are the one looking for my praise and acceptance. And we'll see how, how easy. And celebrity. Yes, we'll see how easy that is to come by. <laughs> <laughs> and AJ, you're more famous than me and it really hurts my feelings. <sighs> anyway, what are we looking at this week? It's uh, season two, episode... Eight? Nine. I'm sorry. Episode nine of Criminal Minds. Somebody didn't change their template. <laughs> Episode nine of Criminal Minds. Uh, but it, it this one is called The Last Word. And uh, it was written by Deborah J. Fisher and Erica Messer and directed by Gloria Muzio. It originally aired on November 15th, 2006. AJ, yes. on this date... Mm. November 15th, 2006, according to the internet, not much newsworthy occurred, so I'll just let you know how old I'm getting and feeling, <laughs> because my wife's birthday is on November 13th, and so I started looking into what happened on November 15th, and all of a sudden, as I'm researching this date on the internet, I, I have a very brief panic attack, because I go... Wait, November 15th. Oh my god, my wife's birthday was 2 days ago and I haven't I haven't I didn't even say anything and she didn't say anything. And then I realized, wait a minute. It is not anywhere near <laughs> like I had a panic attack over a day that hadn't happened that I that I missed her birthday basically. You, you know, my birthday is in 4 days. What'd you get me? <laughs> oh, shoot. <sighs> Gosh. Anyway, I guess we better get on to the episode because <laughs> now I'm feeling awkward. Uh, we open this week, AJ, in a park in St. Louis to the sound of kids playing. I gotta tell you, and immediately, I, 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 don't, I don't have an account and I must start an account, but the number of episodes, I realized the number of episodes that start with children playing is far too yes. often for my comfort level. <laughs> That's actually what I was going to say. Like, right away, I was like, uh-oh, uh, 
I hate it when crimes involve children. I know that's probably going to be like a good 15 to 25% of the episodes (laughs) (laughs) over 15 seasons. So I guess I have to deal with it. But uh, yeah, they they have a lot of parks, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of children playing on, on these sh- this show. I'm sure we've seen it at least two or three times already. Anyway, we see a father and mother. They're playing catch with their four-year-old daughter. They're having a discussion about maybe having another baby. And uh, every time the father, he's playing catch with his girl. Every time he throws the ball to his little girl, it seems to go a little bit further away. And I'm like, oh, no, here we go. Something's going to happen. Uh, I'm, I'm getting worried already just from the, the the game of catch because this is Criminal Minds. <laughs> That's how they get you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eventually, he does throw it a little bit too far and the girl starts to go and it looks like she's going to be out of sight. So the father takes off after her and uh, the mother says she's going to go set up lunch. And I have to say, I don't know, I only got a brief shot of it, but whatever they were using for a picnic basket seemed very elaborate. It seemed like there was actual silverware in there instead of plastic forks and spoons. I just, th- I just thought, mm, that's I interesting. Mean, what, what really i surprised you didn't notice was that there was this bear with a t- necktie sneaking in the background about to steal the <laughs> picnic basket. <laughs> uh, we will meet Mr. Ranger in this episode. Well, oh, boy. hey boo boo so as the dad's away the mom is starting to uh, deal with the food and uh as she does a man runs up out of the woods that are sort of behind the area that they're at and he's looking panicked and he can't find his daughter molly she's six she's got braids and uh a yellow sweatshirt and like, oh, so they were fooling us this time. We had to be worrying about Molly. Molly, you in danger, girl. <laughs> but uh, they, they, I go, oh, they fooled us with this guy. So the woman decides uh, after a moment she's going to help him um, because he's now gone further back into the woods. And it looks like he's found her sweatshirt. And the mom goes back there and it's just, it's not far back, but she is out of sight of the park at this point. And uh, at this point, savvy viewers like myself are starting to realize, oh, maybe it's not the little girl. Maybe it's the mom uh, because we see that she's clearly now out of sight. So she's like, did you find Molly? Is she okay? And the man turns around and just punches her. And at this point, the camera did a neat little thing of like, All of a sudden, we were the one that was punched, and it sort of felt like we were the ones falling to the ground. And then you see the uh, unsub dragging the mom further away from the scene. Yeah, this unsub, Uh, I I didn't like him from from the jump, because he reminded me of that fake psychic dude, John Edwards. Oh, yeah. I When he he grabbed the, the, the clothing, he's like... I'm get, we're getting a name with an M, an M, and Molly, Molly. Is Molly. Does anyone know Molly? Does anyone have a Molly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, can see that. I don't even know what the character's name is for the whole show. I, I just call him. I'm just calling him John Edwards. <laughs> John Edwards. It works. So I, for reasons that will become apparent, call him Mill Creek because you were right. I don't think we hear his name, but that's jumping ahead. So. At this point, we hear a little boy saying, Mom, Mom, wake up. So in a clever little, another clever bit of Criminal Minds editing magic, 
we are now at a completely different place. Uh, and it looks like completely different people because there's a little boy talking to a, a, a different woman saying, mother, please wake up. And uh, he tells his mom it's past 10 and she's groggily waking up and saying, damn it, why'd you let me sleep? And the boy correctly points out maybe she needs to get an alarm clock. Uh, <laughs> and he, he is a kid. Yeah. Uh, this woman rushes to get dressed. And by the look of her clothes, I'm thinking she's not an actuary. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, well, in a few I'll moments, just, we're going to find out that it's, it's, it's not 10 a.m. that she slept through. It's 10 p.m. <laughs> yes. It is the evening. She's got two young boys, actually. They're playing video games. She gets ready in a flash. She tells the older boy, you know, make sure to get some sleep. Kisses her youngest child bye. Uh, heads out of the door to her apartment. She promises she's going to bring home some pancakes and she leaves. And the older boy sadly is like, yeah, when? And I'm like, oh, I feel for this kid. So we cut to this mom and she's walking the streets in her high heels and tiny skirt. And yes, she is a, a lady of the evening, She's it appears to be. a private dancer, dancer for money. <laughs> she, uh, she rolls on over to uh, a car near her, <laughs> rolls on the river uh, to pedal her wares. But the driver pulls away like, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe this was a dude thinking like, should I do this? Should I do this? No, it's a mistake. Nancy is great, but she'll definitely leave me uh, if I wind up doing this. And then I thought, well, maybe I'm giving too much background <laughs> to a relatively unimportant character. Way too much backstory here. <laughs> My God, is this a 17-hour podcast on episode nine? <laughs> anyway, our uh, pretty woman, Tina Turner, approaches another guy she sees... Uh, Standing by an alleyway, she gives him a kind of, you know, you want this type of look and goes back into the alleyway. And so the man uh, turns and follows her into the alleyway. Uh, the camera doesn't follow. It just stays out on the street. And after a moment, we hear some gunshots and we know that it must be uh, curtains for either that guy or our prostitute mother. But I'm assuming it was the prostitute mother who got shot. It, on this show, that's that's usually a good assumption, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. We uh, now cut to the BAU office in Quantico, and we see Hotch working in his office. There's a knock on his door. He says, come on in, and welcome Paget Brewster to the show. <laughs> Should I say uh, Agent Emily Prentice as she introduces herself, and Hotch uh, recognizes the name and says, oh, you're uh, Ambassador Prentice's daughter. Uh, apparently, Hotch worked a security detail. It was one of his first commands uh, working for Ambassador Prentice. And if he can recall correctly, uh, she was off to Brown at the time. And she's like, actually, it was Yale. And guess what? I've been an FBI agent for almost 10 years now. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> Hotch is like, time do fly now, don't it? Uh, so and she's just kind of standing there expectantly she does have a box like the kind of box that you always see in scenes where you're packing up your your desk at the office one of those boxes 
Yeah, the uh, only time you ever see those boxes ever is yeah, is in it, I've been fired. It's a I've been fired box. Or exactly. I've just been hired box. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah, it is strange. And do you keep those boxes at home for when you get hired? Or did she bring all of her stuff and put it in a anyway? <laughs> Again, too far Let's get into out the of this box, please. <laughs> uh so it's awkward for a moment, and Hotch is like, uh, so what do you want? <laughs> and she says, uh, yeah, I've been uh, assigned to the BAU team. And Hotch is like, uh, no, you haven't. <laughs> Basically, he's uh, like, uh, I'm sorry, there's been some kind of mistake. I haven't signed off on any kind of a transfer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Of course, JJ comes in to let him know that they they're, they're getting started in the conference room. So Hotch is like, "Well, gotta go. Thanks." Uh, basically, just sort of leaves her standing there uh, with her box of things. He does walk up to Gideon, and they're right in front of her when they have this next conversation. I thought it was kind of yeah, strange, Gideon, but he's <laughs> yeah, he's like Hotch is like, uh, "Did you approve a new transfer?" And Gideon's like, "No, I would have talked to you about it if." If th- that happened and Hotch is like, that's what I thought. But she seems to have all the paperwork that says she's going to join the team. And then he tells Gideon, don't worry about it. He'll look into it. Yeah, I, I, I do think it's a little short sighted. And I, I know there's no reason for like 66,000 more minutes on this little point. But she does she does mention that she just came from the Midwest, mostly in St. Louis. And this case takes place in St. Louis. And the fact that they don't use her as a reference, uh, a resource in this entire thing, is a little weird to me. Yeah, I got the idea. Uh, and I kind of felt like maybe they cast her or whatever. Like, this episode was already written and they said, oh, this is the one we got to introduce Agent Prentice in. All right, throw her on in the in the, in the beginning. Yeah, it was just weird. <laughs> Because uh, we pretty much don't see her for for most of the rest of this episode. This, this is true. The, uh, the the case will go on without her. Yeah, we do cut to the conference room, and JJ's handing out the uh, case files, and she says St. Louis is in trouble. <laughs> I I don't know why that amused me how she said that, but uh, St. Louis is not in trouble. They won seventeen straight games. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh wait, we're not talking sports. <laughs> no, unfortunately, we're talking serial killers, and they have two. That's not good. They're uh, in trouble. Yeah. St. Louis, you in trouble, girl. They've got uh, one killer that abducts his victim from public places, dumps them in the woods. And Gideon mentions that they actually did consult with the BAU on this very case a few months ago, right after the third murder. And JJ says, well, now they think it's probably up to six murders. And Ellen Carroll, who was our mom in the park, she's been missing since yesterday. The first victims were found near Mill Creek, which is in the Mark Twain National Forest. So I have some geography now that I I know where the Mark Twain Forest is, and it makes sense that it's somewhere in Missouri. (laughs) Reed is not surprised that it takes days to find these bodies because the forest apparently and I'm just going off of Reed's word, so I believe it automatically. I had, didn't do the actual <laughs> research, but he says it's 1.5 million acres, uh, of which 78,000 acres are complete wilderness. Uh, so, yeah, maybe it's going to take them a little time to find any bodies in there. I'd say that's probably a, a thing, yes. 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, the other case they're looking at, they have eight victims that are all prostitutes. And uh, our mom from last night, Marcy Mitchell, she was killed. And all of these victims are tied to a shooter who claimed responsibility to a reporter. Uh, apparently, this reporter's name is Jim Myers. He works at the Missouri Herald. And uh, this guy isn't getting the attention he thinks he deserves because he's trying to talk to a reporter now. Uh, he has signed his letter to the reporter as Hollow Man. So he's even given himself a name. They ask about why would he name himself the Hollow Man. And apparently it's because he uses hollow point bullets in his his gun. I thought it was going to be something funner than that. Nope. but. Not no. at all. Just straight to the point. Because he yeah. lacks artistic creativity. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Yeah. No one even knew this guy existed or was a serial killer until he sent his letter to the reporter. Even though he has more victims, unfortunately, because of the their status, because they were prostitutes, nobody was really looking for these girls. They're, nobody seemed to notice that this was a, a pattern. I'm a little surprised that the police didn't go, hey, we've had eight prostitutes killed in a year, but okay. We'll get a little bit more on that in a bit. I, I you know, they, they set this whole episode up with this whole, like, you know, this one killer does this. It sounded, it really the entire episode, parts of it sounded like a really bad stand-up comedy routine from the 80s. You know, yeah. the male killer, he, uh, he, he does it in the forest. Oh, but I don't kill us. They're like in an alleyway. Like, he's operating daytime. Well, he operates at nighttime. <laughs> Yes, because everything they said was just like they were complete opposites of uh, one another. But apparently they're playing some kind of game of one-upping each other, AJ, because uh, after as soon as the Mill Creek killer is claimed a victim, that's when the prostitute killer decides to shoot his next victim. Yeah, it's it's a whole big uh, musical routine of anything you can do, I can do better. Mm. No, you can't. Yes, I no, can. No, you can't. No, you yes, can't. No, can. you can't. No, you can't. <laughs> so, yes. Um, apparently, they're learning from each other, basically. We flash to a bunch of pictures on the whiteboard, and we see a newspaper headline. No woman is safe. St. Louis is in trouble. No woman is safe. And we get our credits. Criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds. It's Criminal Minds with Paget Brewster. Yes, Paget Brewster in the credits. In case you had including any, the group picture. If you had any doubt that she this one was sticking, she's she's number two in the credits. <laughs> yeah, she's ahead of, of Morgan in the credits. I was like, oh damn. Damn son. She got an agent. They let you put <laughs> <laughs> Um Yeah. Goodbye. Hello. Goodbye, Paget. Um, the BAU jet is taken off. We get our opening quote. Albert Hubbard. <laughs> or was it Albert Hubert? Albert Hubbard. Nobody cares. Once this is wrote, one of those quotes from somebody we've never heard of and we never will again. Exactly. Elron Hubbard, what? Uh, <laughs> he once wrote, if men could only know each other, they would neither idolize nor hate. Sweet. Let's all be friends. <laughs> Why can't we so, uh, be friends? Why can't we oh be God. friends? 
I would rather that have been the quote than this quote, but okay. Uh, yeah, so JJ's on the jet passing out yet more case files because if we see JJ, she's basically either going to be kicking butt or passing out case files. <laughs> <laughs> too early, too early and, uh, in the morning to be kicking butt, so here come the case files. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, she, she notices Reed seems to be deep in thought. She asks him what's wrong. He says there's about 30 serial killers at large in the U.S. at any given time, but it's extremely rare to have anyone operating in the same city. Apparently, to Reed's knowledge, it's happened three times. <laughs> serial shooters are typically loners, and this guy kills at night, and since his victims are prostitutes, that may mean he lacks confidence with women, or maybe he has poor social skills. Uh, and... This is the discussion, by the way. This is not just Reed. This is all of them discussing it. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, this is D. We're back from commercial, and, and we've had the opening credits, yeah. and let's let's just remind everybody what the case is. <laughs> no new information, really. Yeah. Just a chance for Reed to spout a few stats. Exactly. There wasn't any rape that happened. Maybe this guy's impotent. Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, the 44 gives him confidence. Gives him power, lets him maintain his distance from his victims. He doesn't want to even touch the bodies with his hands. Meanwhile, the Mill Creek killer <laughs> hunts during the day. He's targeting educated middle class women, and he probably looks and acts just like they do. However, his victims died from blunt force head trauma. So this guy wants to be close to his victims, he wants to feel their lives leave their bodies. These guys are polar opposites. Their victims are polar opposites. Uh, Hotch is going to go and see uh, if the shooter's victims have families that he can talk to. Uh, he's going to have Reed join them, and he, he's going to have Reed analyze the letter, the handwriting on the letter from the hollow man. Gideon is going to take on the Mill Creek case since he's already familiar with it. Morgan is going to join him, uh, and they're going to go talk to Ellen Carroll's husband. Meanwhile, J.J. is going to go meet with Jim Myers, who's the uh, reporter. And Gideon tells her to tell him not to write about the hollow man because they want to draw this shooter out by acting like he doesn't exist. All right. And we've got our assignments. Let's break. Yeah. We cut to Morgan at the Carroll household. And obviously, Mr. Carroll is upset. He mentions how when you have kids, you're fixated on protecting them. You don't think you need to be worrying about your spouse. Uh, he does give Morgan some background details on her. She's a marathon runner, et cetera, et cetera. Facts about her. Yeah, I, I will say I will say this. The one thing about this scene is that 90% of the episodes when there's someone going missing and, and they have a boyfriend or husband, we see the scene where Morgan or Gideon or Hotch or whatever are going to go like, I think he might be the suspect. And they're, they're always looking at it. But because we already saw who did it, they don't even bother with doing that. And it's just like, it, yeah. it, it, it's weird that they don't show that scene anyway. I, I get why from a story perspective, but you're like, you always suspect the husband first. So he should be suspicious of him, at least at the start of the scene. And he's not. I, just one or two lines. And then the board goes, nah, nah, it ain't him. You know, <laughs> would, would, would have been better for the, for the reality of the show. But obviously, in the reality of making a show, they've already told us it's not him. So, <laughs> Yeah. And maybe they tried to make it seem like uh, 
Morgan was being a little bit softer slash nicer because the little girl actually comes down the stairs right then and he's like, oh, hey, little girl, <laughs> you know, and the little girl smiles at Morgan. And I'm, I'm thinking it doesn't matter how old they are. The ladies love them some Morgan. <laughs> right. uh, hey, it, baby girl. Just a- <laughs> no, 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 Morgan. No, turn it off. Turn no, it off. no, no, no. <laughs> He can't help himself. He can't turn it off. He's Morgan. Um, My man. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so then the uh, husband just keeps asking, uh, says that the girl keeps asking where mommy is when she's coming home. And he doesn't know what to say. And he's distraught. We uh, zoom in on a picture of Mrs. Carroll. And then the scene changes to... Uh, the dead face of Mrs. Carroll, eyes wide open. Uh, the rest of her appears to be buried under leaves and shrubs. And uh, and we see our unsub again. He comes up and says, oh, I missed you. And then he slowly pulls out some uh, lipstick. I'm getting kind of Silence of the Lambs of vibes on this guy. A little bit, but uh, I, not that I'm he, still getting John Edwards because he's communicating with dead people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I don't think this guy wants to make make clothes out of uh, <laughs> out of our victim. No, he wants, uh, he I wants think, to make out with that victim. With our Whoa, victim. Man. Yeah, be- because that's what he do does. He starts to uh, tell her she's beautiful and puts on the lipstick and uh, applies some lipstick and tells her she's beautiful, like I said, and he then starts to go in for a kiss. And thankfully, that's when the camera cuts away because don't nobody need to see that. (laughs) Although it's amusing to me because it's not like he's actually kissing a corpse there. That's an actual living actress there. So it wouldn't really be as creepy, but I get it. I get it. Uh, So... Instead of seeing that, we cut to Reed and Hotch at the apartment of Marcy Mitchell. Her mother is there, apparently, looking after the kids. Uh, She's a little bit short with them. uh, And she looks like maybe she's been hitting the booze a little bit. Don't judge. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, she says, she tells them, don't judge. Uh, They tell her that they're there investigating the case. So far, no witnesses have come forward. And she says that around there, guns go off just as much as the car alarms. And there are car alarms going off in the background as she's saying this. Uh, No one's going to be stupid enough to talk to them. Nobody cares. Reed says, we care. And she tells him that they wouldn't even be there if it wasn't for them. And she's pointing at a newspaper that's reporting on the Mill Creek case. And she reads, heinous crimes against upstanding members of the community. She says, nobody writes about the prostitutes being shot. And Hotch says, you know what? You're right. Cases like your daughter's usually go unsolved because people aren't looking for them because they don't even know they're missing. Uh, Part of her job was to stay below the radar, but that doesn't mean that she was any less important. Uh, Mrs. Mitchell says her daughter was a good woman who made bad choices, but she loved her kids. And whoever shot her needs to pay for what they did. So don't just come in here saying you're sorry. I want you to do something about it. And Hotch promises that they will. It's the softer side of Hotch. <laughs> Gideon would have been like, 
ma'am, I understand what you're saying, but if you don't help us with information, there's nothing we can do. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, We next cut to JJ, who's at the local field office. She introduces herself to our local agent, Agent Sheridan, who shows her where she can set up. She notices a bunch of boxes of evidence for the Mill Creek case. And she's like, oh, great. You got all that evidence. Uh, Now let me see what you have on the the Hollow Man case. Sheridan's like, it's right there. And he points to this single, solitary, lonely-looking folder on the desk. And JJ's like, "Uh, eight women are shot? This is all you got? And Sheridan's like, hey, we don't get much evidence in these cases. All we have is a couple of bullets we found at the scene. Nobody's talking. We don't have anything. This this actor playing the uh, cop here is the guy who played Clarence Weedman on Veronica Mars. So, uh, yes, I just couldn't stop calling him Clarence Weedman. (laughs) I didn't hear any (laughs) names at that point. It's good old CW. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. Um. So, the uh, reporter actually has arrived at this point. So, uh, Sheridan excuses himself, and the reporter talks to JJ. uh, And he's wondering if the prostitutes were shot because he wrote about the Mill Creek victims. And JJ is saying, you know what? This guy would have killed them anyway. He's looking for recognition. That's why he contacted you. And that sort of sets off alarms to the reporter that maybe he's in danger, but JJ tells him, no, the killer needs you. No reporter, You're his only you hope. in danger, girl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You're the only hope for this guy to get on the front page. She does ask him not to print anything about the hollow man or the women he's killed. And he's like, oh, well, don't they deserve as much respect and ink as those other women? And JJ says, of course they do, but we need this guy to keep talking to you. And if you satisfy his need for attention, he could just disappear. They don't want to risk that. Speaking of satisfying your needs. No, 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 no. It doesn't go there. <laughs> but I should point out, I was expecting more of a, uh, a grizzled veteran reporter or something here. This guy, Jim Meyer is a pretty hunky guy for, for a beat reporter here. Noted, Yes. Uh, Agent Sheridan walks in and he does let JJ know that, hey, guess what? We've just recovered Mrs. Carroll's body. And he's that they don't say it too far away from the reporter. I'm, I don't know why it always bothers me when like conversations you shouldn't have in front of other people they're had and it's just sort of like glossed over and we assume that the other people don't hear these conversations yeah, it, it's a, it's a cheat because we got to move the plot along and you're, you're right he could have just said hey we, we found something or or you know gideon gideon found something you know so, so you know something that's a little more oblique so that you know all you, all you have to do really is say gideon found something cut to gideon or you know, or, you know whatever right. you know our men found something boom and then, yeah, because all we do is right now cut to the crime scene. So exactly, gonna, yeah, not the crime scene. You're right, the recovery scene. Clearly, she was not killed here. <laughs> she was transported from one place to another place. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. Terminology, so, my friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're all correct. We cut to the recovery scene, and JJ arrives and introduces uh, 
Morgan and Gideon to uh, Agent Sheridan, a.k.a. Clarence Weedman. Morgan asks, how far is the abduction site from there? And Sheridan says, uh, it's about 40 miles or so. They note that he tried to hide this this body pretty well. Sheridan says he covers the body very carefully, so he must feel remorse for killing them. That's what Sheridan says. Um, you're not a profiler. <laughs> I was going to say, you're not in the BAU, Sheridan. JJ does note that the lipstick has been applied recently. So JJ is actually down at the body working it. <laughs> because Once why, AJ? JJ, get it done. Everyone else talking about, oh, wonder about this. What about this? What about those guys? Did you notice the makeup? Did they, the thing that annoys me is like, did they only bring JJ to the scene so that the woman could notice the makeup? I I kind of feel like that may be the case. Yeah, um, because there's no reason for JJ to be there, quite frankly. And this episode was written and directed by women. So were they trying to make a point? Or but I don't want to assume that I don't uh, yeah, know. I, yeah, it's, it's like we're never gonna know when we go down this rabbit hole. But it's just, it's just weird that like yeah. I mean yeah. Once again, JJ, JJ rules, but like really? <laughs> yeah, she's the one who notices that how the hair is brushed and how the makeup is fresh and and whatnot. If she was abducted about an hour from where they were located and dragged through the woods. Her hair definitely wouldn't look like that. So Morgan says, so this guy is keeping her safe from the elements. And then he likes to come back to the body. And that's why he chooses another location that's so remote from the actual abduction scene. And Sheridan realized, oh, oh, so this isn't really about remorse. Gideon says, no, he wants to be alone with her. Needs his privacy. Hint, hint. Uh, Sheridan says they never noticed the hair or makeup before, but that must be because of the timing, because they found this one 24 hours uh, after the abduction, whereas they didn't find the other ones till like five days after. So the hair and the make all that stuff was obliterated by the elements at that point. Uh, fair, fair. Yeah. Points, points to Mr. Weedman. Fair. <laughs> yes. Uh, Morgan comes out and says what they've been hinting around. He says sex acts with dead bodies are rare. But, for example, Bundy did it regularly. Regularly. Uh, Bundy did it. Uh, yeah. Bundy did everything, it feels like, on this show. It feels like they bring him up once it, every look, three or it, four episodes. <laughs> I mean, the, even the pictures in, in the opening credits, you know, you got your Manson, you know, you got... Yeah, the Dahmers. You got you got the big names in the pictures there. It's like you, you don't mention Dahmer, Ramirez, Bundy, <laughs> Manson. Some at some point, every couple of episodes, people are like, "What is this show about again?" <laughs> oh yeah, serial killers. So uh, Gideon says, "Now that they know this guy must have a ritual, uh, he needs to defile the the bodies. So maybe next time they can be there waiting for this guy." We cut to a car in an alley somewhere. Uh, we see a gloved hand holding a newspaper, and the headline is Sixth Victim Falls to Mill Creek Killer. And then we see the person there looking at the rest of the front page. He seems perturbed, and clearly we figure that it must be because there's no story about the hollow man. 
uh, there. It's all about Mill Creek. I'm telling you, this this guy is jealous and instantly flies into a jealous rage. <laughs> yes, indeed. A, a few hookers are walking by where he uh, is. And sex workers, Kintad. Sex workers. Oh, I don't know. I'm old, I, but I can't blame that. I just have to say the appro- appropriate thing. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's look. HBO had to show hookers at the point. I, I get it. It's 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 just an outdated term. That's all. You are correct because they outdated. No, never mind. Uh, <laughs> See, I I just turned it into a joke myself. Come on, this what is this for? Laughter. Ha ha ha. They're not real people. <laughs> the fact that they're about to get shot, they're not real people. Two sex workers walk by. <laughs> uh, he calls them over and he shoots them. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, he shoots them and and positions the newspaper in between their right. their bodies, almost as if to say, "Newspaper, <laughs> you better look at this newspaper." Forensics team. So after a break, we come back to this crime scene because yes, it is good. where the bing, crime bing. happened. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I want to be at the scene where it happened. The scene where it happened. <laughs> oh man, Reed is there, and he points out two victims at once. This is a first for our guy. Uh, he wonders if he was out looking to kill more than one woman, or if it was just happenstance. Hotch says, "Hey, well, this is a different hunting ground. We are in an alley, but it's behind some expensive hotel in a nice neighborhood." So it's a different class of prostitute slash sex worker. Uh, ones that don't really walk the streets alone. And Reed says, so this guy was out looking for a challenge. And Hotch wonders what possibly could have given this guy the confidence, because it doesn't seem to fit his profile. What gave him the confidence to stray outside of his comfort zone? They do note the newspaper prominently displayed as if this guy wants them to know he's angry. We cut back to the FBI office uh, and reporter Jim Meyer is there and he's asking about that morning's double homicide. Was it the hollow man? And JJ says they're looking into it. And very correctly, I might add, he's wondering uh, if this would have even happened if he had actually wrote about the story. And JJ says, look, that's no guarantee that he would have stopped killing if you did. It may have even spurred him on to kill more. And the reporter's like, well, really, this is all just a guessing game, isn't it? And JJ's like, no, it's behavioral analysis. Uh, they are dealing it's with... Right here on my, it's right here on my lapel. D-A-U. <laughs> they are dealing with someone in this case who believes that murdering people is a good way to get famous. Uh, and Meyer says all he knows is she told him to ignore this guy and he took two more lives. If he doesn't say anything now, what's going to happen tomorrow? And JJ says, "Well, we're not going to know until then." Kind of feels not the greatest rebuttal there. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like the reporter has got a point. Like, yeah, I mean, we kind of it's, it's almost like we don't care about these women. Although I will say, at least the reporters, not like a lot of the reporters on the show, or it would be like. Yeah, we tried it your way. Now we're gonna try it my way. Right. I haven't put him on the front page. He just feels bad. Like 
you know, am I to blame? It, it, it's coming from, uh, I, I think it's coming from a good place, which is nice to see because so far I think JJ's had to do with a lot of reporters who are just like trying to get the story. Right. Anything like, you know, oh, even though we have a history, I'm still running with the story, JJ. <laughs> right. <laughs> even though we used to date. Um, <laughs> anyway, we cut to JJ now talking to Reed, who has finished with his handwriting analysis and basically, he only sent this letter to one individual, which shows that he's not confident enough to contact the masses as of yet. Uh, and I'm like, did he contact your family, AJ? Uh, I did not get a letter from the Hollow Man. No, I probably <laughs> would have mentioned that by now. Um, I'm not L. I'm going to mention it if I get it. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Remember L? Right at the, yeah. So long ago. Anyway, uh, this guy's handwriting shows signs of repression. And the pressure in the writing is showing is heavy, which shows that he's uptight and can easily overreact. And JJ's like, and you got all this from the handwriting. And Reed says, well, graphology is an effective method, uh, an indicator of personality and behavior. And I find it total BS, Reed. This is just, this is just, uh, while there is some uh, validity to graphology, uh, no. No, it, it, experts like on graphology have been laughed out of courts a lot since then. And it's it's not as predictive or anything as as they as we thought as as a society back then in two thousand six. So uh, now this is much this is just jibber jabber that no longer has as much scientific weight as it used to. There are certain things certainly that you can they can glean from it, but it it's it's practically horoscope stuff yeah. at this point. <laughs> So I, I I just I just glazed over it this entire scene like none of it is important. <laughs> <laughs> so next we cut to our profiling scene. It's the usual long-winded profile scene. We do learn it's possible that this guy has a job in solitude. Uh, we're talking about the uh, the shooter right now. He has a job in solitude. He might be required to wear a uniform or he might be overqualified for some menial job and feels like he doesn't get the respect he deserves. Uh, he killed two women today, so apparently he's growing more confident. He's unpredictable and dangerous. And since he's had no physical contact with his victims, he'll, he's going to be harder to catch. The Mill Creek killer, they do have more. Meanwhile, the Mill Creek killer's <laughs> like this. <laughs> They do have more info on because he spends a lot of time with his victims and after he it both before and after he kills them. Uh, and since his victims seem to willingly follow him in broad daylight, he must appear harmless. Uh, he's most likely a handsome man because these women just wouldn't follow an unattractive man. They just wouldn't do it, says Gideon. Um, it's a good thing this didn't take place in Seattle. <laughs> because then I, I would be making a lot more Twilight jokes. <laughs> are you team Mill Creek killer? Or are you team Hollow Man? Oh, he's at night. He's at night. He's like one of them vampires. He only comes out at night. Oh, he's like one of the werewolves. He lives in the forest. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy. He's a, he's a handsome man, and he has the uh, social skills to trick his victims into following him. Anyone that knows this guy, Morgan points out, would be shocked to find out that he's actually the the killer. He's been able Which to get is the opposite opposite of last week's episode, where it was like, "Oh, they would not be surprised at all." Like, yes. yep, he's the guy. It's really like, "Oh no, people would be shocked on this one." Yeah. So 
he risks driving these these victims to the woods because of his need to, to perform his ritual, quote unquote, of defiling the bodies, as Gideon uh, puts it. It's the most important part of his crime to him, and the woods give him the privacy that he needs. While the hollow man <laughs> is motivated by external pressures, this is a guy that wants attention. The Mill Creek killer is driven by internal forces and is sexually motivated. He's more uh, predictable, but he's going to be just as hard to catch. You say goodbye and I say hello. <laughs> hello, hello. Uh, meanwhile, we see a woman outside at some area with her bike. She's pulling up near a park bench and she gets a phone call. She finishes the call super quick and is startled by a voice behind her saying, excuse me. But as she turns around at startle at first, uh, she then smiles. And then we hear music. And her smiling face just goes to a black and white photo as sinister music is playing. And we know something must have happened to her. Indeed, we cut to JJ handing Gideon the picture saying this is Meredith Dale, 25. She was supposed to meet her friend for a bike ride, but she's disappeared. This happened just one hour ago. Immediate reportage. Again, the difference in the two victim types. Like Immediately, friend said, nope, she's missing, must be something wrong, as opposed to eh, someone who works at night, works by themselves. You don't necessarily expect to see even you know her own child was like yeah you'll be back with pancakes whenever like (laughs) it's not going to be reported in an hour exactly so sheridan asks how they can be sure this is the right guy morgan's looking at the picture saying look at her she fits his type physically she vanishes into thin air it's got mills creek mo written all over it so sheridan says okay well he's going to go set up roadblocks around the forest And Morgan says, based on the other timelines, he's probably hiding the body right now. And Gideon says, well, the best chance of catching this guy is to find Meredith's body first and sit tight. Uh, They know he's going to come back to it. So we next cut to a checkpoint coming out of the forest and our unsub is there. He's in a blue van that has been stopped by a ranger who I am now calling Mr. Ranger. And uh, (laughs) he asks if he can open the back of the truck he, uh, the man, the unsub obliges. The van is empty. There's nothing there. The uh, ranger asks what he was doing up there. He says he went for a hike. And for a minute, I have faith that, uh-oh, this ranger is on point because he says, well, that's interesting because you don't have any water, no supplies. You say you're out for a hike. But our unsub tells the ranger his boots are all he needs. Everything apparently looks okay, and the ranger lets him go. apparently his boots were made for hiking. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So uh, Morgan is analyzing the dump sites on a big map on the wall. He's with Sheridan and Gideon. He wonders if perhaps these sites weren't random. He points out that there's so much area to cover that this guy must have had some plan with how he was going to work it. He probably did his homework. The first body was found deep in the woods after uh, five days after the abduction, and it was over a three-hour car ride from the city. The other victims basically followed the same pattern, which isn't 100% true because we know our last victim was found 24 hours later, but okay, 
So he must be talking everyone, about everyone the, except the last one. Yeah. yeah. So it's like he knows when the Rangers are on duty because he knew just when and where to dump the bodies based on their schedule. So if we got to find out information like what is a Rangers schedule, we got to call Garcia. That's right. If, if we got to find out information that is in public domain, Reed probably has read something about it and memorized it because if he's got a photographic memory, we need to look it up right now, Garcia. Yes. <laughs> she, she Morgan calls Garcia. She helps him to break down the Ranger schedule. You know, there's their normal chattiness, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> the, the, she just click, she clickety-clacks. She, yeah. she flirts she, because, you know, she she's so bored. It takes, takes like maybe... Two seconds for her to find this ridiculous thing that they need. And, uh, you know, she's, she's going to flirt for about five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Stretch it out a little bit. Yeah. So uh, from the schedule, based on what the schedule has provided, they think they can predict uh, the next area because the Rangers were there just yesterday, which means that they're not scheduled to revisit that area for at least another three days. And that particular district also happens to be closest to the city, so it makes sense because this guy is in a hurry now. Garcia helps him find the area that has the easiest access to the main road. In that area, it's called Saltgrass Cove. Saltgrass Cove. Saltgrass Cove. <laughs> yes. Morgan says uh, he'll have uh, plenty of time at that location to revisit her. And Garcia's like, ew, I don't want to know about that. <laughs> Bye-bye. Uh, <laughs> Morgan says to the rest of the group, he thinks he knows to look where to look for Meredith Dell. He thinks to know? He thinks he knows? <laughs> Garcia thinks she knows. <laughs> let's, let's be clear here, Morgan. Yeah. They all were in the room. They heard you talking to Garcia. <laughs> we uh, cut to the woods. They've got a police dog out there with them. They very quickly find do find Meredith's body buried beneath shrubs and whatnot. Sheridan starts to unbury her, but Gideon stops him, tells him they need to make it look just like nothing has changed. The guy's going to come back. Uh, Sheridan is going to disperse his team around to search the area, but Gideon's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> do you not get the plan <laughs> as we have presented it? Uh, everybody just, we're going to sort of disappear. We're going to fall back to the perimeter, disappear, go invisible. Now it's time basically for the hunter to become the hunted. Yeah. Set that trap. Catch that guy. Exactly. We cut to a bit later. The cops and, and the BAU team are all hidden in the forest and we do see a man approaching the body. The cops burst out screaming, FBI, hands down. Man is like, okay, okay, take it easy. We finally see his face, and it's Jim Meyer, the reporter. Uh-oh. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. Sheridan is like, wait, you're the Mill Creek killer? <laughs> and Myers is like, no, I got a letter from the hollow man telling me where I could find Meredith Dell. They grab the letter out of his pocket, and they read it, and it, it's as he says. Sheridan wonders, since they just figured out where she was, how did this other killer know the specifics about someone else's dump site? Obviously, Garcia told him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think the one thing that doesn't work in the scene is that because we know who the unsub is, who are they trying to fool by doing this shot of 
just the guy's legs as he approaches. Like we don't see his face as he's walking to the body and everything. Like we know what we know what the unsub looks like. So you're not fooling us, right? It it's not the unsub, right? Because <laughs> otherwise you just showed us it was the unsub. So I don't think the surprise worked here. The fact that it's the reporter was a bit surprising, but still, it's like it's no. He probably paid a messenger or something. He's on to you. This is not the unsub, right? So it's a bit later now, and uh, we're at the field office, and Rita's saying, so our trap for the Mill Creek killer was ruined by the Hollow Man. And Hutch says, well, now the Hollow Man is on a high. He hasn't shot anyone since the two victims yesterday. But is he satisfied, or is he just getting started? JJ comes in. She says, uh, we'll find out pretty soon, because she hands him a newspaper with the headline, Hollow Man helps FBI find Milk Creek Killer's victim. So now apparently he's alerted the media and got himself injected into the investigation. And I guess they got this story. They weren't going to hold it back. This this is news. (laughs) You know, and and plus it's also it relates to the continuing coverage of the other story. So uh, they, they have to be able to throw that out there. Absolutely. I don't know if they've never run anything on the Hollow Man before. I don't know what leading with Hollow Man helps be FBI makes sense because it'd be like Hollow Man. Who the hell is Hollow yeah. Man? This is the first we're hearing of him. Was <laughs> it Kevin Bacon? <laughs> if anybody I told you, we all have to be invisible. Didn't you watch? <laughs> yes. Thank you. I'm hoping somebody gets my references, AJ. Um, so they do point out that if this guy really wanted us to get the Mill Creek killer arrested. He probably would have called the police or FBI directly and not the media. This guy is clearly looking for attention, right? He's uh, he, no- he must know about the Mill Creek killer's need to revisit the body. And he knows that if he can't defile this woman, he'll go into a frenzy. He'll be like a time bomb waiting to explode. The door opens. Lenny and Squeaky enter. Hello. Hello. Cue time bomb. (laughs) Cut to our Mill Creek unsub. He's out on a city street in the broad daylight. He stops a woman and asks her for help because his car won't start. Can he use her phone? She starts to search for her phone and says, oh, you know what? He says, hey, you know what? Forget it. Maybe it'll start for you. She's like, what? He tells her, come on, just walk with me. And she's like, no, no, that's all right. And at this point, he's a little frantic. Yeah, he's our time bomb. He grabs her by the arm uh, and she starts screaming. He looks around. He's all nervous. She's clearly not about to shut up. So he runs off. And that, yeah, I mean, what was his plan here? <laughs> well, but he, he went from it's working to uh, it's creepy in like, no time at all. It was like, hey, can I buy your phone? Oh, of course. You can borrow my phone. Oh, never mind that. Why don't you come to my car with me? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. Oh, boy. We cut. You overplayed your hand. Retreat. <laughs> Retreat. <laughs> we cut to a bit later, and uh, this latest woman is telling Gideon that at first this guy seemed so normal. And Gideon says, oh, was he handsome? Because he has to prove his point. And uh, she admits that he was handsome. And that's even why she stopped to talk to him. I laughed that loud at that because you expected to go, was he handsome? What kind of a question is that? Like, Yeah, he was handsome. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, that's why she stopped. 
but his demeanor did totally change after she refused to go to his car with him. <laughs> um, she says he grabbed my arm so hard I thought it would break. Uh, I had been watching the news about these girls being abducted, so I just started screaming. And Gideon's like, you trusted your instincts. Good job. That's why you're alive. I, I, I want I to interject. It just reminded me of a story. Just how quickly something can, can change on a dime. And I'm not going to name names, but I had a friend uh, who, who once went into a uh, chicken joint late, late, late at night. Because he was drunk and he just wanted some food, and there was one other person in the re- in the restaurant. It was a woman, and you know she's kind of like looking at him, and she says, "Are you gay?" And he goes, "No." She's like, "Want to have sex?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the, the turn on a dime. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> can I can I borrow your phone? No. Well, can we come out of my car? <laughs> Hey, hey, wait, what did that turn? Whoa, hello. That one left turn real quick. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, so they're going to have... Oh, yeah, they did it. Yeah. (laughs) Not not shocking, AJ. (laughs) Knowing your friends, wait a minute. Uh, Hey, now. So, yeah, so uh, they have this woman. They're going to have her talk to a sketch artist. uh, So now they'll have a picture of what this guy looks like. So after they wish her well and congratulate her for still being alive, <laughs> like, hey, congratulations, good move, you're still alive. I mean, you know, so many, so many people in this episode have already been blaming themselves. It's, it's always nice when one of them says, you did nothing wrong. So I'll, I'll give them that one. Although the way, like you said, the way Gideon said it was a little <laughs> brusque. Yeah, so... Uh, uh, Gideon, Morgan, and uh, Sheridan have a quick discussion. They decide that this guy is becoming irrational and violent in public, and they think that's exactly what the hollow man wants him to do. Uh, at this point, Morgan points out if he doesn't find a victim soon, he's going to s- just drop the ruse altogether and just start grabbing women at random off the street. Uh, yeah, he's been set off. We cut to uh, Hotch and Reed, and Hotch is just hung up from Morgan, so he must have just got all this information. Uh, he lets Reed know they have a witness that got a good look at the Mills, Mill Creek guy. And if it's the hollow man's intention to force him into a frenzy, he's getting what he wants. So they repeat the same information. Uh, <laughs> Hotch is at his uh, whiteboard, and uh, he's saying that the guy knew exactly where to find Meredith Dell's body. He figured out the dump site, maybe the same way we did. And Reed says, well, they say that serial killers make the best profilers. And Hotch is like, yeah, but this guy was dead on. He knew it too too well, basically. Uh, what's giving him this confidence? Why can he, how does he know this? Also, what's the significance of the newspaper at the scene? Uh, it was displayed. There must be something in it he wants us to look at. And this whole time, Reed has been looking at the newspaper, and he, he's he been studying it this whole time, and he figures it out, he says. Apparently, they're talking to each other through the classifieds. Yeah, it's it's the scene that doesn't really need to be there as long as it is, because it's really just Hotch going, Reed going, hey, I, I, I didn't hear what you said, but I found something. <laughs> yeah. So it's a bit later, and now Sheridan's back there, and he's saying, 
classifieds, code names. This feels like an old time spy movie, an old Veronica Mars episode. Uh, <laughs> Morgan says, yeah, it's low tech, but it's simple and effective. They've been doing it for months. Nobody ever knew it. Reed brings up the first uh, uh, ad, personal ad that he found. And he says the references in it are what made him suspicious. And the ad we see, it says, Sonny, are you an artist too? I'd love to see your work sometime, Holden. And Sheridan is like, Sonny, Holden? Hotch explains their characters from Catcher in the Rye, which is widely accepted as a book that's loved by sociopaths. <laughs> now, I, I wish they would just parse that a little better. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a sociopath if you love Catcher in the Rye, but many sociopaths do love Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly right. It's a Venn diagram. It's not a one-to-one ratio there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But they bring up Mark David Chapman quoting it after he killed John Lennon. Basically, deranged minds out there do identify with Holden's alienation and detachment. Reed says he found the initial contact between the two. It ran in the paper unchanged for months. And it said, Holden, we have different tastes, but I can appreciate your art. Sonny. So Hotch explains, Sonny is the hollow man. He's the one that initiated the contact. Sheridan says, well, what are you guys going to get out of this? And what are these guys getting out of this? And uh, Gideon says, well... Sonny is getting a mentor. He offers his respect for his work, and in return, he gets encouragement and confidence. But when he went unnoticed by the press, he started to resent his mentor, and it turned into a rivalry. The hollow man became jealous, and they were both killers, but they weren't seemed to be in the same playing field. And Reed found additional me messages where Mill Creek basically told Hollow Man where Meredith Dell was. Sheridan asks why he would do that. And they say, well, he's just teaching his student a lesson. Uh, and now that they know these guys' relationship, they can use it against them. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, uh, hey, we, we, we found your secret code. Now we're going to, it's obvious at this point, I think, that, that well, we're going to plant a little message of our own they practically all but say what they're going to do here and that's a standard spy thing <laughs> yep so now morgan calls garcia again but it's pretty much useless because she couldn't get the information on who purchased those personal ads they paid in cash so they don't have any any kind of identification and their accounts are in good standing so uh, Morgan lets the team in the conference room know this. He asks how they're doing it. Hey, Garcia, can us help? Do your own detective work, Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> Busy. Basically. The team, meanwhile, is working on uh, Reed crafting a personal ad imitating the Hollow Man's language patterns um, because they want to try to send a message to the Mill Creek killer. He's going to offer condolences on losing Meredith Dell. And, and Morgan says, if he can't get to her, he's going to need a body and soon. So Sheridan wonders if the hollow man is going to ruin their plan again. But Gideon says he wants the Mill Creek killer to get caught. The pupil is trying to kill the teacher. Uh, 
At this point, JJ and the reporter Myers walk in and they let Reed knows that that he's got an hour uh, before the deadline, so he needs to hurry up with that personal ad. <laughs> I mean, come on, how long is it going to take to really write this thing? I, you know, it's it's just silly. It's it's very very silly. <laughs> I guess this woman was a undercover cop that they're working with in the next scene that we cut to. But it, it, yeah, it seemed like she was a, a, a under five extra actress that they hired for the day who'd never been on TV before. Because you're right, this this. I know exactly what you're going to say. The undercover cop was very unprepared for what was about to happen. Yeah. Uh, and I, I I mean, yeah, it's a freaky, freaky day. I guess as an undercover cop, you don't expect you're going to be playing a corpse uh, on a normal basis. But still, yeah, she seemed like, huh? What, they're going to touch me? Uh, it was just, it was, a, it was a little weird. And plus, it was sort of, they didn't really explain it. And so at first I was like, wait, who is she again? Oh, we don't know because we've never seen her before this very moment. Yeah, it, it really all it is is like they, they get a decoy body who is his type. So she's got to look a certain way, with a certain color hair and, and all that kind of stuff. And like, all right, you lie in the leaves. I'm going to leave you here for a couple of hours. <laughs> don't move. Yeah. And, and he's going to show up. And the fact that she's like, wait, he's going to show up. He's going to come approach me. Like, Yeah. That they didn't explain the gig to her until she was lying there in the leaves. Like, it, just, it was weird, a weird scene. And she did have, I, I think she had makeup on so that maybe she would look like a corpse. Like she had a little makeup on, or maybe that was just uh, I bad know. lighting. It's I don't know. Bad scene. <laughs> so they do bury her. She is waiting. They tell her to close her eyes and relax. Uh, Reed, we cut to Reed. He's asking JJ if he thinks the ad will work, and so he reads it. Dear Holden, they say imitation is the highest form of flattery. Since you were almost in harm's way, I thought I'd share some art. It should make you feel better. Here's my gift to you, Sonny. So we cut next to our uh, shrubbery, and we see that our unsub, our Mill Creek unsub, uh, John Edwards, actually does come and look at the body. Uh, he's all, hello, and pulling out his lipstick. <laughs> like, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> but before he can get any further, of course, the uh, cops come out from the behind the trees and they surround him. And Gideon is like, one down, one to go. Yeah, again, this is also kind of just silly because he, he goes there and... I granted it, it might be a little chilly out there and her body is not necessarily 98.6 degrees warm if she's out there in the cold for a long time and it would be cold. But then he goes and he holds her and everything. He's going to know she's not dead. Yeah. I'm sorry. He spends his time doing this. It's not like he's unfamiliar with dead bodies. As soon as he touches her, he's going to know. But in, in this case, he, you know, he actually goes down. He kind of caresses her face a little bit. And then he pulls out the lipstick. and he, Yeah. He would have known instantly it was a trap. So just... TV. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, and they still would have caught him. Like, they, right. could, they could show it that way, and still he's getting caught. He's there. He, he's there. And the whole, they even say, they're going to say in, the, in basically the next scene that, like, we really don't have anything on him because all he did was kneel down in front of her and he happened to have lipstick. I mean, that's it's weird, but it's not enough for a conviction on several homicides. So, right. yeah, it, it, they'd be no worse off. Yeah. 
They uh, do bring him back to the police station and they do purposely walk through the throng of reporters and angry crowds, people uh, yelling at the guy because obviously they're trying to make a, a production out of uh, out of this because they're still trying to uh, bait the hollow man. So they get inside. JJ lets them know that uh, she's alerted the media. She's going to be holding her press conference in 10 minutes. Uh, she confirms she has the script. They tell her that the wording is important. And she's like, yeah, you guys, I I know what I'm doing here. It's not my Stop first time. Yeah. I'm JJ. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They know that they don't have, like you said, much on this guy, the uh, John Edwards guy. So they determine that Gideon has to work this guy in the interrogation room. We cut to said interrogation. Gideon makes sure the guy's comfortable. He introduces himself. He says, I don't know your name or where you're from. Okay. <laughs> All we know is that you're intelligent, good-looking man with an inflated ego who also happens to be killing women. And he's like, well, you had me to the last part. Uh, he uh, claims he didn't do anything. He saw a woman in distress in the park, and he, and he was out there to help, and he just got pounced on. And I saw a woman with really, really bad makeup on her lips. I thought I'd touch it up a little bit because she she was in distress. Yes. Really, dude? Gideon is just going at him uh, like, you know what? We know who you are. And he doesn't hold anything back. He's not trying to hide anything. He says... Uh, you know, we didn't think we'd have you in custody. We thought that the hollow man would be the easier one to catch. And he wonders if that's upsetting. Uh, he says... G G Gideon's, Gideon's using that uh, that nagging tactic. Yeah. Like, You're great. You're wonderful. But I, you know, we thought the hollow man would be easier to catch. <laughs> yeah. The guy says, well, he doesn't really know this hollow man, but uh, he sounds to him like an obsessed fan. And Gideon says, oh, so you see yourself as someone famous. And then he says, uh, well, from what I read about the Mill Creek killer, he'd say he's an artist. <laughs> it was, it's, it's o, he's O.J. Simpson in there. If I did it. Yeah. <laughs> here's how it would have happened. Uh, if I did it. I would be an artist if I did it. <laughs> uh, so Gideon points out that, uh, yeah, you know what? You did respond to the Hollow Man's personal ad. So your fascination wasn't completely one-sided here. The unseb says, uh, no one respects what the hollow man's done. He's got no imagination. And Gideon says, yeah, but he's smart. He found Meredith Dell's body, told the media about it. And uh, John Edwards, looking very smug, says, uh, whoever taught him must have taught him well. <laughs> um, and Gideon kind of has to laugh at that and says, yeah, that's true. Very true. It seems like now, however, the student is turning on the teacher. And the guy says, well, no, no, no. The hollow man is protecting him. And Gideon says, uh, that's what you think it was. The hollow man was actually manipulating you, gaining your trust. And when he got it, he set you up. You were the front page news. And from now on, you'll be a footnote. Uh, he's out there and you're in here all because of him. And so... Uh, Mill Creek is like, so you want me to get angry because you're trying to get me to help you catch him? And Gideon's like, no, 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 no. You don't worry about that. You don't worry about that. I just got one question for you. 
If killing these women made you an artist, how about those things that you did to them after they were dead? What does that make you? Uh, it doesn't seem really artistic now, does it? And uh, our man Mill Creek starts to look pretty troubled and Gideon starts hammering it in. Uh, you'd go back. You'd fix up their makeup and comb their hair. And he's like, no, 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 I, I didn't do that. And Gideon says, then you visited them over and over. And he's like, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And Gideon says, well, if you thought you were famous before, just wait until the press finds out the details of these visits. Uh, Mill Creek is like, shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Shaft. Uh, <laughs> Gideon is like, you expect me to believe that you only killed these women? That it wasn't you visiting these corpses? Dude, you had the damn lipstick in your hand when we caught you. Is <laughs> what he says. Uh, he says, you don't tell anyone that. Don't tell anyone. Gideon's like, say what now? He says, you can never tell anyone. And Gideon says, that you didn't visit the corpses? And he says, no. Uh, and Gideon says, oh, so you just killed them. And he's like, yes, I just killed them. Uh, it's the Perry Mason tactic. Yeah. <laughs> isn't it true? No. Isn't it true? No. Isn't it true? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I killed them, but you can't tell anyone I went back. You can't do that. So he's okay with people knowing he killed these women. Hey, look, I don't care. How it, it worked. Gideon played him. We got our confession. Case closed. <laughs> there you go. True. Uh, we cut to JJ now. She's doing her job perfectly, might I add, as if as if she wasn't going to. Uh, she's uh, saying, well, the women of St. Louis can rest easy. The Mill Creek killer is in custody. And, oh, man, this guy was, uh, what a killer. <laughs> He's great, man. <laughs> the BAU definitely wants to study this guy. Because he's, uh, he's one of the most complex killers that they've ever had to deal with. And someone asks about, well, what about the other killer? And JJ says, oh, they don't believe that they're related. They have some new information about that case. They believe those were isolated incidents. And they're investigating if the uh, last two victims were killed by copycats. And uh, Myers asks if they're referring to the guy who calls himself the hollow man. And JJ says, well, they think the person that wrote that it was not he was nothing but a street thug uh they have evidence that it was a prank to throw him off of the investigation of the mill creek killer uh it's no longer even a bau case it lacks sophistication it lacks class there's just nothing elegant about this case uh so now the conference is over and uh they've set the bait for their trap now it's just time to see if uh, the hollow man takes it Unfortunately, the Hollow Man doesn't take it, and that's the end of the episode. Oh, well. Uh, next week. No, AJ. Of what? Of course he takes the bait. Oh, Hook, line, wow. and sinker. Uh, we see the cab from before pull up in front of the FBI building. Our unsub gets out of the cab, goes through security at the front door, setting off the metal detectors on purpose. The guard starts to search him. He's able to uh, overpower the guard, gets another guard to uh, give him his weapon. And uh, we don't see how he does it, but he manages to make his way to the FBI office and burst in. Uh, and he's clearly there looking for the Mill Creek killer. Everybody's got the guns pointed at him. He's like, tell him the hollow man is here. 
He told you guys to say those words, didn't he? Um, they very quickly get the drop on the Hollow Man because the Morgan is, <laughs> tackle somebody. is there. Yeah. They arrest him. He's screaming, I'm no less elegant than he is. I'm no copycat. I left you the newspaper. I gave you the Mill Creek Killer. What else do I have to do? Sad. Yeah. That's pretty much it. <laughs> now they have both of their... Yeah, they caught, they caught both of them, and now a quick shot of the jet. They're going home. They're flying home. But we need to tie this whole one guy does this and one guy does that kind of thing in a nice little bow. And finally, a fax comes in because I, I don't understand the fax technology on the plane, but okay, a fax comes in and, and JJ has something else to show everybody. <laughs> yes, it's the newspaper article about... Basically, what happened the next day, uh, and it's a big memorial article for the, uh, all about the victims of the case. Doesn't even mention the killer, AJ. Which is nice. We we don't learn their names. I, I think that that's actually really cool. It's like not only is the article not mentioning their names, but the episode doesn't mention their names. We don't know who these people are, and it doesn't matter. I I, I like that little symmetry there. Mm-hmm. Um, we do get our end quote. It's from Hotch. Uh, he says, Mahatma Gandhi once said, remember all through history, there have been tyrants and murderers. And for a time they seem invincible, but in the end, they always fall. Always. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Hotch comes back to his office. It's nighttime. And believe it or not, AJ, Agent Prentice is sitting there on the couch in his office. And Hotch says, what actually I kind of was thinking as well. He says, please tell me you haven't been there for the last four days. <laughs> and uh, she says, no, I, I heard you were flying back tonight. And he's wondering how she heard something like that. Uh, she tries to hand him something. Uh, says, this was dropped off today, and Hotch is like, look, I appreciate your interest, agent, but, well, profiling is a specialty, and we can't just let anyone who wants to give it a whirl. Uh, agent Prentice is like, she's just going in on what she's handed him. The I-80 killer, co-eds in Indiana. Hotch is like, yeah, I read about that on the plane. She says, these aren't blitz attacks. This guy is organized. He's a white male, early 30s, and a smooth talker, because even after 11 victims, he can still convince educated women who knew who know there's a predator out there to get into his car. And she's all gung-ho about this, and I guess Hotch will see maybe there's a little something in her here. And he, so he says, well, uh, how would you advise the police? She says she'd stake out Ranch House, which is a nightclub in Gary. They have a very popular ladies' night on Thursdays. And if you look closely, you'll see that eight out of the 11 victims went missing on a Friday morning. So something there, there's something that gets this creep's motor running on Thursdays. Look, this is not a whirl, Agent Hotchner. I don't know how the paperwork got screwed up, or maybe you believe maybe that my parents pulled some kind of strings, which they didn't, by the way. But I belong in this unit, and all I'm asking you is for the chance to show you that. Hotch says, well, he's still got to look into it. 
Uh, he's not promising anything. She says, understood. And uh, he says, well, we brief new cases every morning at 10 a.m. So I guess that was enough for her to get on the team. <laughs> I, I mean, look, I, I saw you already in the opening credits, so I guess I that'll give you a shot. Right. So what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought it would have, it would have, maybe it would have been nice if they didn't put her in the opening credits until next episode. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it, she could have, should have been a special guest star or something this week. You know, just yeah, just to put her, put her, put her yeah, in, in the credits at the beginning as they roll the credits of uh, all the people appearing in the episode. Uh, but whatever, you know, c- contracts and whatnot. Yep. <laughs> so that was the episode, AJ. Uh, let's uh, check our barometer as we do each week and uh, discuss if we think. Uh, the BAU team won this episode or not? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't really see anything that they did wrong in this one. I think they were very effective. Yes, three people died after they got there, but that those guys, those two killers, were already both running rampant, and I think they used the information they got from the new deaths to quickly solve the thing. Yeah, sure, Hollow Man helped <laughs> a little bit. But yeah, they they caught two on subs, and that's a win. You know, they, they did their jobs, and of course, JJ uh, doing the best job of all, as usual, uh, with the press conference that uh, sucked in Hollow Man. Gideon getting the confession. Weedman never would have done this by himself. <laughs> a definite W. All right. So, uh, what does that leave us for the season, uh, AJ? Just curious. Five wins, two losses, two ties. Five, two, and two. Mm, very nice. Very nice. I'd Heading be happy with that. first place. Yeah. Could lock in a wild card spot in about five weeks. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another thing we like to do, AJ, each week is have a little quiz that's been inspired by the episode. Yes. Yes. One of my other podcasts, Beat My Guess, where I do a lot of trivia. I like to bring that into this podcast as well. Uh, by the way, the episode title, not said this week, not said this week. No one actually said the last word, but, you know, that's going to happen sometimes. It's all good. Uh, I got three questions for you, and uh, you got all three right last week, so I made them a little harder. Because I don't like that. No, no, no. <laughs> but the first two are not multiple choice, so. Uh-oh, okay. They are, but they aren't. I'm not giving you multiple choices, but you can narrow stuff down on your own. Okay. So, anyway, question one. The Catcher in the Rye. Mentioned a lot. In this episode, it was also used as a plot point in an episode of South Park. When what character reads the Catcher in the Rye and decides that they want to kill John Lennon? (laughs) Well, I don't remember this episode of South Park. But there's relatively few characters who would, I think... Well, actually, no. South Park has a few characters that would... (laughs) Now that I think about it, that would uh, decide that they've got to kill John Lennon. But you said this, they have to kill John Lennon? Okay, so... Re- reads it and decides that they want to kill John so Lennon. So this is, this is clearly, obviously, it must take place as a flashback or in the past when that has happened. So it's going to be one of the adults, not one of the kids. And uh, so I'm just going to give it a... Uh, I think it's the teacher, but I can't, I don't remember the teacher's name, but it might not be the teacher. You know, the the other loon of the adult, there's a lot of loony adults there. The other loon I'm thinking of is uh, 
Stan Marsh. Is that the dad's name, Stan Marsh? That is the Stan. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Stan Marsh. It's a very good guess. Uh, unfortunately, you are not correct. Uh, it was not one of the main kids either, uh, but it was their friend Butters. What? <laughs> Butters. Yeah, uh, he reads it and instantly uh, sees through the hidden messages inside uh... the book and decides he wants to kill John Lennon and is very disappointed to learn that someone's beaten him to it. Uh... <laughs> Okay, that He's makes several sense. several decades too late, yes. Yeah, okay. That's why. I, but th- that's what threw me off. I was thinking it was. It had to be... Ugh, you guys, I really gotta kill John Lennon! <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean somebody's gonna kill John Lennon? Uh, now I want to see that one. <laughs> All right, question number two. You referenced this uh, earlier, so I hope you'll be able to get this one right. Kevin Bacon started <laughs> in the 2000 film Hollow Man. Who appeared in this, believe it or not, Oscar-nominated film portraying his ex-girlfriend? Oh. So who was in Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon? (laughs) Yeah, I saw Hollow Man. I don't remember it at all. Like, I vaguely Are you you surprised that it's an Academy Award-nominated film? Um... I feel like I remember... I, I don't think I am because I feel like I... I remember that stupid fact. Um, it was like special effects or something. I'm yeah, a, it was visual yeah, effects, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was not for best picture or acting or something like that. I can't remember the movie at all. Dang it. Did you tell me the year? What year? It was... 2000. 2000. Okay. That cuts out a few people, but it leaves plenty of possibilities i don't remember so i'm going to say um i don't know leah thompson leah thompson a fine guess not too far off the mark quite frankly uh this is someone who of course uh oscar nominated herself not for this role of course this would be the babysitter herself elizabeth shoe oh i was kind of close yeah same 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 kind of genre all right over two yeah we know y'all come for this question yeah question three where we preview next week's episode of criminal minds Todd tries to guess which one of these four is going to be the plot of next week's episode criminal minds season two episode 10 entitled lessons learned Lessons learned. Is it A? Garcia gets hacked, causing her to have to improvise in order to save the day. Is it B? Gideon and the team are called in to help interrogate a prisoner at Gitmo. Is it C? Morgan flashes back to his first case when he joined the BAU. Because he wants to help Prentice with a similar case taking uh, taking place now. Or is it D? Prentice officially joins the team, but makes a huge mistake, which costs one member of the BAU dearly. Huh. Um, I will say that I don't want it to be A, because we've already had Garcia getting hacked and... And I just felt so bad for her and her Gideon troubles at that time. I I don't want to see that again. So 
I'm going to try to influence it to not be that. Of the other options, I'm going to go with option C, Morgan flashing back to his first case to help Prentice with uh, her first case with BAU. That is your answer, and I mean, that would be a wonderful episode. Damn it. If only they had done that. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, it's the episode I would have written for this this one here. No, we're going to Gitmo, my friend. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> we're going to interrogate a prisoner at Guantanamo Bay. Yes, that will be next week as Prentice does join the team. All right. Very nice, folks. Well, I hope you had as uh, much fun as I did, and I hope you had a little bit more success with the quiz than I did. But uh, I will always have Paris, or last week, I should say. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's it. We do this show every week. Please tune in next week, and thank you for joining us this week. I hope you had a good time. Uh, also, you could subscribe, rate, or review our podcast, as one would do at the various podcast platforms. Uh, be sure to spread the word. Let your friends know about us. And you can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For Mr. AJ Mass, this is Kintad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. Never try to have the last word. You might get it. Robert Heinlein